0: I think that leadership is deliberate. I think that there's a lot of people that have charisma, there's a lot of people that have personality and, and they have a followership, but leadership takes deliberate effort. And sometimes it's contrary to your natural nature.
1: Hello, everybody. This is Mike Payton with the EOS Leader Podcast. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Rich Dottridge and Greg Mills, co-founders of Warehouse Cinemas. Rich spent seven years as a professional soccer player and then founded Beyond Soccer, a ministry committed to offering resources for Christian growth through soccer. Greg is a trained structural engineer with a passion for business. Interestingly enough, he was headed out of town after a business deal didn't pan out when his friend Rich stopped him with an idea and Warehouse Cinemas was born. Despite starting their business in late 2019, Warehouse Cinemas actually grew during a global pandemic. Their company is actually in the business of transforming the ordinary into the extraordinary. More than showing movies to crowds of people, the team at Warehouse Cinemas takes pride in bringing new life to old forgotten warehouses, shopping centers, and malls. They create world-class one-of-a-kind of experiences because they believe every day deserves a little bit of wow. Rich, Greg, thank you for being here today. Welcome to the show.
2: Awesome. Thank you for having us, Peyton. That's a great intro. Thank you.
1: does <laughs> <You, laughs> that seem smart. You are
0: <laughs> we're on to something.
1: <laughs> yes, if I could just get somebody to do that for me from time to time, that would be helpful. What I'd love to do is just uh, let each of you tell your own unique entrepreneurial journey that brought you together to Warehouse Cinemas, and anybody can start.
2: Yeah, I'll jump in. Uh, Rich Daltridge. So, we started a company back in 2005 called High Rock, and High Rock was a marketing agency. It still exists today. So, about 17 or so years into that business, about five years into High Rock, we were doing pretty well. And, you know, as any uh, visionary or entrepreneur who had an itch to do something more, so we took over our local 10-screen movie theater. It was a sort of a rundown 10-screen location in the middle of a cornfield, literally, but it was, was the place where we we grew up going to the movies together in Hagerstown, Maryland. And so jumped into that venture, had no idea what we were doing, and sort of fast forward to, I guess, 2019, we ended up sort of turning that business around and selling it and December, or sorry, January of 2019, and Greg came along a little bit uh, a few years before that and helped run Ludersburg. From there, we jumped into Warehouse Cinemas, and it's been an interesting ride, and uh, we're expanding quickly.
1: As I understand it, you opened your first location right at the start of the COVID-19 lockdown. Is that right?
0: We actually started construction in December of 19, so we worked through COVID and opened in July of 20 we actually the state did not allow us to open the doors to the public until uh September 4th of 2020 then at that point it was 50% occupancy so yeah we have terrible timing
1: <laughs> <laughs> and yet here you are today feeling like you have opportunity in front of you which is an amazing amazing accomplishment greg uh, tell me about your background pre warehouse cinemas what brought you here
0: Yeah, sure thing. Uh, I was a structural engineer by trade. Spent a few years doing that. Decided I've always had the entrepreneurial itch. Went back to school, went back and got my MBA full time. Came to Maryland, take on a uh, a different opportunity, a candle car, excuse me, an electrical contractor. And I did that in 2009, which was also terrible timing. Uh, So that (laughs) fell apart in 2013. I was walking from that deal and then back down towards Carolina. And Rich pulled me aside and said, Hey, I've got this idea. I think my, my first response was, it better be a good one. <laughs> and, uh, it was a good idea. I uh, joined in 2014, joined High Rock in running Leitersburg Cinemas and working towards opening warehouse cinemas. Mm. So as Rich said, it's been an interesting journey, but what we learned at Lidersburg, uh was definitely the genesis of the model, and here we are, 2021. Peyton, w- what
2: was funny about that that interaction is that it was a one-pager It was called a mood board, and I had just this visionary-esque idea of this cinema that had modern industrial look and feel and whatever. So literally the document that Greg (laughs) was excited (laughs) about was a one-pager that had a bunch of photos on it. As the visionary, I was like, look at these lights. This is what I'm thinking. You know, and I just went down the whole path, and that's where it started.
0: Yeah, we actually sat down at his house, uh, at Rich's house on a Thursday evening. And Friday morning, my wife and I and son at the time, son, he was young. We were heading down to North Carolina to look, uh, to go house shopping. So we were heading down to Carolina and she kept asking, me, What was that mean with Rich Bell last night? And I wouldn't tell her. And we did our thing and I I had a weekend of process and I told her on the way back what the idea was. So,
1: Well, and this is what I've For the record, the listeners in the know about EOS have already discerned which of you is the visionary and which of you is the integrator. (laughs) And I kind of intentionally left that out of the intro to leave people guessing. But a structural engineer by trade, I think the tendency for visionaries is to believe that there isn't any visionary in that. But what you're actually doing is picturing the mood board turning into an actual business over that weekend and making your own decision about whether or not that's an idea that's got legs. And it sounds like you decided it did. And here we are today, and it's real. And so I think that's a great example of a marriage between a visionary and an integrator that that makes a great idea turn into a going concern. So
0: yeah i think i actually have my first pro forma done by the time i came back
1: (laughs) and as a visionary rich you're required to quit paying attention whenever an excel spreadsheet comes out is that do i have that right
2: that is true i like excel excel spreadsheets too but not to the detail that greg has
1: you just want to look at the lower right hand corner and see if the numbers red or green
2: well, yeah, but there was this acronym in the bottom. It was called EBITDA. Like, what? It's an EBITDA. Come on, like, yeah. did you misspell was that? Spell check or something, right? And I just never processed, you know, that. Yeah, <laughs> so it, it, it was a decent EBITDA for us to pursue. That's yeah. good.
1: That's good. So tell us about the journey and all the challenges that you encountered to get this cinema open, to start getting guests in the theater, and what you've learned.
2: Yeah, we've learned a lot. I mean, we—the goal for Warehouse Cinemas—it was our third venture together, essentially. Uh, uh, the first under the Warehouse Cinemas brand. We learned what we wanted to do and what we didn't want to do. The journey was <laughs> obviously opening in the middle of the pandemic was extremely challenging. But you know, as entrepreneurs, you have no choice but to figure it out. I mean, we were multi-million dollars into that project. It was ready to go. We completely gutted an existing ten-screen movie theater. Uh, and put it back together. So very expensive. You know the headwinds back then. Uh, we're talking September of 2020. You had primarily the studios. You know the Walt Disney's, the uh, the Lions Gates, the Sony's of the world. They didn't have product, so you didn't have film that was first run movies. And so, I mean, it's obviously the lifeblood of any movie theaters. So you had that headwind. You had the the fear of all things COVID and safety, which was understandable. And then you had sort of this this idea that even though movie theaters were open around the country, they were open at limited capacity. And a lot of people just thought movie theaters were closed. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't realize they they were open because of all the narrative that was on the news. And so <laughs> there is a, a lot, a lot of headwinds. The capacity I mentioned was was another one just being at 50% capacity, for example, is difficult because you can only fill 50% of your seats. And so we just had limited inventory to sell. The product wasn't there. People were scared to come out generally. But I think what we learned, and Greg can, can back me up on this, is that we learned how to eventize movies even more than we were doing before. So what we did have was the the retro movies, the Goonies, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. We had all the movies. And what was, what was interesting about it is if you, and we believe this in our previous operations as well, but it, we had no choice this time That's around. Right. It was like, go yeah. the retro movies and create a an event around them. So we would have movies like The Big Lebowski, and we would ask people to to come in with their bathrobe and sunglasses and we would have white Russian drinks <laughs> for them. <laughs> and we would we had we had a really good night you know, doing that for for a good while. And it, that only lasts so long. So I think I think we learned how to really crystallized our belief in that going to the movies has to be more than the film you're going to see. It has to be an experience. It has to have a food and beverage component. You have to eventize when possible. We have lots and lots and lots of stories of, of overperforming on the attendance side because we just create memories for our guests, is actually our mission. And, and part of those memories are made because of the way that we sort of market and, and curate that experience.
1: Yeah, for the listener who's only been in a traditional movie theater, help us understand the difference between what you're doing at Warehouse and what I might have experienced at a more traditional.
2: All right. Greg's telling the visionary to keep going. So I'm going to keep going. Um, (laughs) One of the things that we believe in is 100% recliners. So leather recliners, we debated earlier on whether to have heat settings in those recliners or not, but we decided to, and it became one of the biggest amenities. So 100% recliners with a uh, seat warmer. We have a food and beverage option. We have a full bar. We have 28 taps of beer that's actually on a self-serve wall. Uh, so you can get a card and once you're ID'd and you can go taste up to 28 craft beers and then ultimately pour your own beer and go into the into the auditorium. Our menu, a lot of our colleagues, some successful, some not, are doing sort of in-theater ordering and, di- and, uh, and, and serving. We've opted for more of a fast casual model. So when you walk in the doors, it's sort of this modern industrial look and feel. You go to the concession but you can order some elevated food. So we have a, a menu of gourmet grilled cheeses. We also have gourmet flatbreads and some other items as well. So it's beyond the popcorn and soda. But in our opinion, our product is somewhere between the traditional sort of popcorn candy soda model and the higher end in theater ordering and serving. It's, it's, it's in our opinion, it's a sweet spot. And so our margins are good. Our labor costs are low. And we definitely don't skimp at all on the actual quality of of the actual presentation. So it's, again, 100% recliners, but high-end audio, visual. Uh, We have a Dolby Atmos screen, for example. Mm. But at the same time, our price point, which maybe you can speak to, is across the board to allow lots and lots of people to enjoy the movies.
0: Great, great stuff. That's what where I'll step in. You know, everything Rich said is all experiential and um, and it's tailored to the customer. But we were very careful to not spend money where there wasn't value add. Uh, the in-theater dining is expen- is a, is a uh, an example of that. We don't think that it really adds that much value to have, have a waiter walk in, and take your order during the middle of a, a really important scene in a movie. We don't like that model. We don't want the we don't want the distraction. We'd much rather invest in the experience being the, the projection. We do all laser 4K projection, absolute top notch sound, and the best seats we could find. So we threw a lot of money at the auditoriums, making them really really right, and then did the same thing where we found value in the dining experience. For example. For example, we do free refills on all-size soda and popcorn. Mm. Why would you not let someone that buys a $9 popcorn have a refill, but someone that buys a $7 popcorn? They're not allowed. Either. Just just the large popcorn didn't make sense to us. So uh, we look for opportunities to add value everywhere we can. Uh. At the same time, we looked at our pricing model, and we saw that our competitors with recliners, they had two pricing tiers. They had a evening primetime tier and then a matinee tier, and they were only separated by a couple bucks. So the mom that has three kids... Is going to go out on a maybe maybe they'll have a value day they'll she'll go out on the value day and look for the cheapest ticket possible to take her kids but any other day of the week you're not really going to have that you're not going to have anyone driving to go see a movie at 9 10 o'clock in the morning so we did a variable pricing model that has four tiers throughout the day and the more you get into the evening prime time obviously the more premium your ticket is but we get discounts throughout the day leading up to that so if you want to go earlier you want to save money go to an earlier movie. And what we found is we're not cannibalizing our nights and weekends at all. Hmm. Now we have a mom that has four kids, knows that she can go early in the day, any day, and get a discount and still have a heated leather recliner with a phenomenal auditory experience. Hmm. And if she's seen Frozen for the fourth time, she can go to the beer wall and get as many well, as she wants. Well, I was, was going to well. say, that's going to make so. the
1: white Russian sound pretty good right there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's our idea is to provide as much value as possible. We are not the cheap budget movie theater in town, so we don't. We are not seeking that, but at the same time, uh, wherever we can add value, we do. And wherever we can take away from costs from the cost model that's not necessary, like we don't believe in big neon lights and, and marble floors, and we don't we don't look at the movies as a uh, or the movie theater as a palace. You go to it's a comfortable place. Thing
1: out. Yeah, so it's starting to look to me like the industry's coming back a little bit. There are some first run movies being released. The attendance restrictions have been lifted in most places. I know we're kind of migrating back into an area of concern. What are the growth plans for warehouse cinema as, as hopefully we emerge from this pandemic?
2: Yeah, so we, uh, you know, with any situation like a pandemic or a or downturn in the economy, you know, we sort of looked at it as, you know, we're already in this thing. We survived during a pandemic. We actually did pretty well. And so we sort of started looking for inventory, uh, other cinemas that, that just didn't open afterwards. There's quite a bit of inventory out there. I mean, most of the screens are open from from 2019, but there's that there, there's enough that you, when it's an empty 10 screen movie theater that just got renovated three years ago. So we ended up being able to buy back our original location in Hagerstown, Maryland, where we actually located the first operation. Uh, we are in the process of gutting that, and that will open in about uh, six to seven weeks. Uh, so it'll be open uh, at the end of October at this point. And then we also have a, a deal we just signed in Baltimore, Maryland, which will be our third location. Uh, that will open in early 2022. Another example of you know a, an operation that just didn't open again, and we took the opportunity to, I guess, double down
0: yeah, on this crazy industry. Good for you. We're seeing more more landlords that are very interested in the health of your operating model instead of just getting the nicest, biggest theater they can get in. If they're going to put $10 million into a facility, especially a mixed-use facility in a nice area, they're very interested in seeing our pro forma and not relying on thin margins and massive volumes
1: of people. Well, and my guess is you're a sort of tip of the spear strategy for landlords in that if you're attracting young people spending money on entertainment, it's a helpful draw for other tenants as well yes
0: absolutely the site we're in now in frederick we were essentially going into an abandoned mall with an anchor on each end and we took a chunk of the mall we said hey look we're gonna drive three four hundred thousand people a year through here yeah. and um there's value in that yeah great
1: i love it. it i i put that through the little spreadsheet in my brain and i like the EBITDA number at the bottom as well rich just so we're on the same page
2: yeah i love i love even now too yeah <laughs>
1: that's awesome all right let's go back warehouse cinemas if we can and talk about your leadership journey uh, for each of you take turns uh, in whatever order you like answering this question what i want to know is the first person you saw in your life that you recognized as a leader who were they what was the situation and what did you take from that in terms of the way you thought about leadership
0: i remember as a kid my dad uh, was a similarly technical guy and i remember he actually designed a uh, a building that an outbuilding out of our church. He designed an educational building for our church, and I remember him um, on a Sunday morning being recognized for that. Mm-hmm. And it was a servant leader position; he wasn't paid for it. It was one of the things he just did because it needed to be done. And spent he devoted a tremendous amount of time doing it. And I always remember looking up to him for doing that and being proud of his legacy. And that building still stands today. And I remember, I remember always thinking that you know this is how you lead. This is how you serve.
1: Mm-hmm. Great story. Thank you, Rich. Yeah,
0: I, we sort of talked about this
2: question on the way back from a trip yesterday, Greg and I in the car. And yeah, I think we both just defaulted to our dad, both men of faith. My dad was an entrepreneur. He, I remember him hustling all his life, leading his family well. But I guess my recollection, similar to Greg's, was he took me to uh, Florida. I always tell younger professionals, make sure you travel with your kids. Like, I just remember this... Uh, trip with my dad where he was winning an award for sales that, and, and just, there was just this uh, sort of aura of respect around his leadership, just skills. He's a, he's a pastor today. So mm. um, he's got the same sort of, as Greg describes, uh, servant leadership. Um, he's just extremely humble. I think, um, you know, as a f- former struggling, made no money professional soccer player, I have like this competitive edge to me. And if if I could learn anything, it'd be from my dad and, and I have over the years. So
1: yeah, that's great. I'm glad that you brought up the soccer background because I think the way a lot of people answer that question is they think of a leader in sports, a coach or a, or a famous athlete. So what did you learn from your life as a soccer player that you try and bring to your business, Rich?
2: Yeah, you know, over the years as just serial entrepreneur, I just I haven't had a traditional boss. I have to almost go back to my years of playing, and I just remember one coach in Charlotte, North Carolina, Mark Steffens. He was I think he had the balance of being really hard on you at the same time. He put his hand on your back and tell you to you know it'll be all right, you'll do better next time type thing. So I think um, I think Mark Steffens, and, and I haven't kept up with him over the years, but. I just remember his um, his spirit was always like just is really, really competitive. It was like that sort of silent competitive type, and you just respected him. And he he really led the team, and the Charlotte Eagles over the years always had great teams, and you know that because,
1: in uh, a, a large part, because of his his leadership. What position did you play typically?
2: When I was in uh, high school, college, and early years professionally, I was a forward, and then I started to move back into the midfield as I slowed <laughs> yeah. down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and eventually I was a defender and then there was no other place to go except, you know, retire. So, yeah. um,
1: you, you became yeah, but, a pylon eventually. <laughs>
0: exactly. I will say he's still the fastest guy on field day on, on the kickball team. So
1: that, that wasn't,
2: that was impressive. We should talk about, so we did a uh, kickball. That was impressive. We did a, a uh, field sort of day with the team at warehouse. Simmons and Frederick after a long nine months it was like, let's just go to a picnic sort of uh, event and we played kickball. <laughs> they didn't know I played, I don't think, and I kicked it over their heads and ran around and scored. So
1: nice. I'm getting saying. a I'm young, getting a speaking of vintage movies, I'm getting a dodgeball feel, and you're Ben Stiller, yeah. Rich. Right. Is that is that, that accurate?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after I hit the home run. But, you okay. know, before then I was real quiet. But yeah. yeah.
1: I will say the ball
0: got back to home plate by the time he was uh, he was rounding third and they <laughs> threw the ball at him. And in like in total commitment, I think he launched three or four feet in the air (laughs) in a buttoned up shirt. I think you were coming from the (laughs) meeting and did a roll through the dirt and and stood up. And everyone just had this look like, why would you go that far with this?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, we might share a few things in common besides our love of spreadsheets, Rich. (laughs) Just a little competitive. Um, Have you ever worked for. Worked alongside or seen a lousy manager, and if so, tell me about that. What'd you learn not to emulate?
2: <laughs>
1: By the way, I'm not asking you for to. I'm not asking you to name names.
2: I mean, I think you know. You see people when you you know in business for long enough, you you just see that you either have the sort of commanding control leader that struggles with micromanagement. Again, I, I haven't had a lot of. Formal bosses, So I'm just sort of more generalizing that I don't think they're as an effective. I think if you look at those organizations, they probably cap out and they have a ceiling to them. I think the ineffective managers and leaders uh, don't have a level of empathy that they need to have to just understand, especially with working with, with different generations of workers. Um, I think you have to be a constant learner. And so I don't, I don't know. I think we both said we were going to pass on this, but... Um, <laughs>
1: I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole, right?
0: I'm willing to say a little bit. I think that leadership is deliberate. I think that there's a lot of people that have charisma. There's a lot of people that have personality and, and they have a followership. But leadership takes deliberate effort. And sometimes it's contrary to your natural nature. I have seen leaders that people wanted to follow and naturally did follow that were willing to put people down and put them in their place and or do it publicly. And that's clearly not a good strategy. So I think that leadership takes growth. Sometimes it's counter nature.
1: Yeah, it's, it's if you're not disciplined yourself, it's awfully uh, difficult to expect everybody else to be disciplined as well. So, Absolutely. Have the two of you ever found yourself stuck? You weren't sure what kind of decision to make as a leader, and and you couldn't figure it out. If so, what'd you do, and how'd it turn out?
0: Flip the coin.
1: So, <laughs> no, no. I, I, that's the amazing
0: thing about this journey is we found ourselves in multiple. Situations where we didn't know what to do. We truly do temper each other, honestly. Like I've had some ideas that were clearly wrong because they were too black and white and Rich has had some ideas that were clearly wrong because they were just too out there and we we probably followed them too long. But as we become more disciplined with EOS, we've, uh, especially after going through traction, we simply recognize that's the nature of who we are. If you can temper each other and hold each other accountable, the end result and the middle ground is uh, pretty extraordinary when you get there.
2: Yeah, I think Rocket Fuel for us, not to keep talking about EOS, but we drink the orange Orange Kool-Aid. Rocket Rocket Fuel was a great book. I don't know. I think we make a lot of decisions every day. So I I don't know that I can pinpoint one. I mean, obviously, you know, we're both family, man. We have young families. We put at risk not only our own families, but the families of the people who trust the vision (laughs) of where we're going in this industry, the cinema industry, especially with just so many question marks down the road. And I think day in and day out, as, as Greg mentioned, I think we we calibrate each other in that regard. I, I tend to have you know the twenty ideas of which one is good, and he has an an, an over thought out spreadsheet that's probably too detailed. <laughs> so somewhere in the middle of that, you have to make decisions with sixty percent of the information sometimes. And, yeah. There's a lot of them. Greg wants 99%. And I, I, want, I, I like,
0: go 60%. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> shooting for 80%. We're shooting
1: for 60%. Somewhere in there, there's a middle ground. Well, what I hear, I mean, you know, just summarizing at a super high level is you rely on each other, that you two have discovered that you don't have to figure it out by yourself, and that if the two of you get in a room and come at it from two different angles, you're likely to make a better decision together than you're able to make on your own. Is that a fair assessment.
0: Yeah. Consistently.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah but I, I will say, Peyton, that we weren't always, it wasn't always that easy. We fought a lot and we probably still made spirited, right? It's supposed yeah. to do that. But I think what we've been able to develop over the years, you know, cause it has been a battle. I think sometimes when you go through a war with someone, things like, you know, the pandemic and opening a movie theater and just putting everything on the line, you know, you develop a deep level of trust. And and when you have that trust, even though you fight, you know, daily or sometimes weekly, on well, a good week, you know, at the end of the day, you trust that that the intentions are there and that we just want to create a great business. We want to take care of people and drive this thing home. So I think that's how we sort of someone said in a the meeting the other day, you're, you're the yin and the yang. Right. And we're like, yeah, I guess that, I guess that makes sense.
1: Yeah. You know, what I find is if there's no tension whatsoever, that's not healthy. And if there's only tension and you're never able to align on anything, that's not healthy. And somewhere in the middle is the right formula for you two to have healthy tension that gets resolved and allows you to move forward in a way you both respect. That's the visionary integrator relationship in in its essence. And uh, it sounds like you're on your journey to find that together. That's all you can ask. Yeah, that's
0: well said, I, without a doubt. after going through rocket fuel, you know, having
1: that structure in place
0: and having those understandings in place and knowing our, not only our um, natures, but our responsibility to be productive in that. It really, really set a framework about being productive in that tension.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing that comes to mind, Peyton, is just, I think your values have to align as well. Like we're just men of faith. And I think we have young families, you know, we love our spouse. You know, I've only loved one woman my whole life. I met her in high school. So like We're an open book. And I think when values align and then you have strengths professionally, I think honestly, it's where the magic happens, in my opinion. I think I wouldn't be this far along in Warehouse if it was just me, and Greg wouldn't be far along either. So for your listeners, that helps the value sink, I think, is a key piece as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you, that's the foundation of trust, right? If you want and value the same things, whatever petty differences separate you from time to time, those more profound. Shared experiences bring you back together. So great stuff. Either of you re- able to recall a decision you wish you had back, a do-over, a leadership moment that you consider an epic fail? <laughs> and for for the record, it would be better if Greg talks about his regret and Rich talks about his regret, and not the other way around. I, I want I want to talk about Greg. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. um. <laughs> No, I, you know, it's like
2: entrepreneurship is just this constant making mistakes. I mean, it's just like, you never arrive to be the ultimate leader. You never arrive to not make mistakes. And I, I mean, early on for sure. I mean, I came out, think about it. I came out of military college, Virginia military Institute Mm -hmm. for four years. So I had this military (laughs) chip on my shoulder. I went in and played professional soccer for nine years. I mean, I was just, I was a mess, uh, starting (laughs) my business. So, um, My wife kept me grounded, thankfully, and my dad, you know, as well. But, like, I I was probably just, if I were to look at the early years of the first five years of my professional sort of entrepreneurship career, you know, I I just wasn't a great leader, frankly. And so I I would do over, I would get a mentor earlier. I would read more. I would study leadership more. I would just do a, I would just. Wished I would have been a better leader i think i would have been even further ahead if, if i would have done that early in my career so there wasn't one specific thing but i think it's a combination of just not being good <laughs> early on
1: awesome thanks for sharing that rich
0: yeah well i mean I'll, i can i can echo a lot of that you know I, when you asked the question about my epic fail i was i was categorizing them by generic category. i mean I, there's so there's so many like yeah. you make in this process it's actually hard to pick one or two i I think that the biggest thing that i've learned over time that that you just have to accept your mistakes had to realize you're not perfect and not beat yourself up at the same time be kind to yourself and yet still realize the imperfection of of your of your mistakes a phenomenal book is extreme ownership Mm -hmm. by jocko willink and that to me was i wouldn't say transformational so much as as reassuring of the two decades prior But I slowly got to that point, slowly learned that. And then it's all right there in the book. I wish I'd had it 20 years ago. Yeah.
1: Well, but the the journey is full of the things you need to have the lesson resonate with you as well. Right. So sometimes we're not ready to learn something 20 years ago that we need to learn tomorrow. So the wiser you are, the more you learn from others. Right. That's that's exactly (laughs) right. That's what I say when I'm asked that question is I wish I didn't care so much about being right all the time you know, because it doesn't count for crap. It just doesn't, you know, being effective and being caring and being a good teammate is way more important than being right. So anyway, and I love Rich, the thing about, you know, making mistakes and how necessary that is, it's very much like sports. My boys are playing soccer now too. And the desire they have genetically to avoid trying things that they don't already know they can do well, because the shame or, embarrassment they have from shooting with their off foot and it's not a very you know we have to understand that our human makeup is designed to have us not want to make mistakes and to be a great leader you have to make mistakes and so get out there and make decisions and learn from the ones that didn't work out
2: yeah like i mentioned earlier i was i was always playing forwards i was always trying to score goals i shot a lot yeah right i took took a lot of
1: forwards do yeah
2: I, whenever I joke with my my old college friends, I say I broke all the records, and they said, "Well, you also broke the records of shooting more than anyone else." <laughs> but you have to shoot. So there's this mental toughness that if you don't if you don't try, if you don't shoot, if you don't try and move, try to shoot with your other foot, yeah. whatever whatever it is in sports or in business, you're never going to win, right? Yeah. You can't you can't win without scoring goals. So I think that's what personally I've learned over the years is just the mental toughness of entrepreneurship is something to. Yeah. really hone in on and try new things and it's okay to fail well um, if,
1: it, yeah. if you don't want to miss any shots you probably shouldn't be a forward and you probably shouldn't be an entrepreneur or a leader either so well said with your team have any of them told you they wished you were leading differently or doing something differently to help them become their best as part of your team
0: Absolutely. I mean, we have weekly check-ins with our senior leadership, or excuse me, monthly check-ins with our senior leadership. And uh, it's a a frank, confidential conversation. We always ask the question, or I always ask the question towards the end, what can I be doing better to support you? And there's been good feedback on that.
1: Yeah. What are some of the kind of things you hear? It's a pretty short
0: list. <laughs>
1: and it's mostly with regard to controlling rich. It would be my guess.
0: Well, honestly, there's some dynamics there, right? They typically have the individual I'm thinking about is is very well regarded in the organization and, He's typically had good feedback on organizational dynamics and how it impacts his role and how he can do better if we allowed him to do XYZ or how I could participate more or less Mm. in that. He's been able to leverage my strengths and vice versa. So it's an ongoing evolutionary thing. It's always worth asking the question what you can do better. I think that too many people that report to you, they see these check-ins as you looking over their shoulder, seeing how they're doing or telling them what they need to be better at. And if you can make it a give and take, if you can make it a one eighty event. Then it's far more productive, and 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 it builds trust. And that candid nature of your relationship can be very effective.
2: Yeah, I'll say, Peyton, we've been working really hard at that question actually, to in our organization. So we've created and have, or have started implementing the last, I guess, six months or so, uh, what we call a performance management system. And it's been sort of it's rocked our world a little bit because it's forcing us to create the competency modeling around what a general manager looks like or what a supervisor or assistant manager, and we have a couple of different flavors of assistant managers and what they do, but even the soft skills and the hard skills associated with that, I think what's been revolutionary for me to go through that process that we've never fully, we've always done the sort of annual check-ins or quarterly check-ins and how you doing and give them a score type thing. Now we're actually having them score themselves on their competency modeling we're also scoring them and, and then their direct report as well as scoring them. And it's been like it's an hour and a half meeting once a quarter where we just say you scored yourself here. The, the, the aggregate is this number. Let's talk about communication or let's talk about organizational skills. And I think that has really opened up the dialogue a little bit more than it would be if you just had open ended questions. Because at the end of the day, we want our people to just be better. We want them to be better professionally and personally. And that model has really come around. I mean, a lot of our team members, they've never had someone that really cares enough to unpack it all and then pour their guts back into them to get them better. And if they leave the organization, shame on us because we didn't have an opportunity for them. Right. But if they leave it as a better professional, we have to high five them out the door and say, come back and say hi type thing. Ironically, that makes us stickier,
1: uh, and we've seen that already. So I love that you shared that because right now, with as hard as it is to find people and retain great people, a lot of employers are scared to make their employees uncomfortable in any way. And what you're doing is you're sitting down to have a two-way, potentially uncomfortable conversation designed to make the relationship stronger and them better. And the mm-hmm. manager who's having the conversation better. And that makes everybody uncomfortable. So I applaud you. And I, to hear you say that strangely makes the relationship stickier is exactly the point I hope the listener hears here. That discomfort leads to a new level of trust and a stronger relationship.
2: Yeah. And, 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 and simply put, it's essentially helping the team members, specifically management, understand where the goalposts are, what success looks like. But then the performance management system allows us to basically unpack how they will be successful in that role and then help them with those skills and then rinse and repeat, right? Do it again the next quarter and constantly get better at customer service and whatever it is, soft skills, hard skills. That's the exciting part for me, at least, is that I love just growing teams. Maybe it comes from that, that team, you know, athletic background or whatever, but seeing the team come together, knowing what success looks like and winning is just like is why is why we do what we do
1: well and as you guys grow those people you're talking about are going to be the ones creating the experiences for your guests that keep them coming back and you two are going to start having less and less of an impact on the success of your venture and if they're not on board and fully bought in and and given the opportunity to ask for what they need you're going to fail so i love it really good stuff really good stuff One last question for each of you, there's a lot of new leaders listening to this podcast who are just beginning their leadership journey. And I want you to think about yourself in that first leadership role you had, Rich, where you said, I'm not very good at this. What do you think a new leader needs to hear if I asked you to give them one piece of advice that would make them better?
2: Yeah, I would say I'll give you one of each, one on the personal side, one on the professional side. So on the professional side, you just have to study leadership. I think you know a lot of folks coming out of school, jumping into this sort of hip thing called entrepreneurship, <laughs> so, um, it's cool to be an entrepreneur now, there's a lot to learn to lead people because you're, you're only going to grow as good as you create leadership within your organization, starting with yourself. So, it's, you just can never learn enough. You can never read enough. You can never listen to podcasts like this. So I would encourage them to just study leadership. Um, Even if they don't need it yet, trust us, it's coming. (laughs) And when it comes, you have exponential growth as opposed to just sort of, you know, single digit growth potentially. And on the personal side, you know, I I just want to say, make sure you keep margin in your life. I think, um, you know, there's more important things to business. There's more important things than making money, although, you know, we're going to go hard and we're going to crush it. We're going to be warriors every single day. But I think, you know, I would say to a young entrepreneur, or young leader, keep margin in your life. I think if there's one silver lining that came out of the pandemic, it's people uh, appreciate family a little bit more, I think, mm-hmm. and, and relationships. But make sure when you, when you you know, if you have a family, your spouse, they're number one in your life, make sure that your kids know you and make sure you tell them you love them every day. So, um, but you have to keep margin in your life, not to work yourself out of the most important thing in life, which is your relationships.
0: Great stuff. Greg, what about you? Yeah, I I think if I was to pass one thing on to myself 20, 25 years ago, it would be to uh, define success clearly for myself rather than focusing on on a number, focusing on what you're going to retire with or how much money you're going to make. Ask yourself what kind of lifestyle you want, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Ask yourself what success really is and what you want to achieve. A lot of people come out of school very, very focused on getting a job with the biggest paycheck and, and starting the business or creating the app that's going to give them $30 million and they can get out get out of the business in five years. That's not entrepreneurship for 99.5% of people out there. It's just not the way it works. So what you have to do is, is ask yourself what kind of lifestyle you want, what's going to get you there and what's sustainable. I think that you look back on what you consider success to be is kind of core to that. My dad, passed away with not much to his name but at his funeral he passed away early uh, at his funeral the church was packed people traveled thousands of miles to see him and testimonials of what he accomplished made you know grown marine men cry so i remember very profoundly thinking about how successful what what an indicator of success that was so mm. if i learned that lesson a lot earlier in life it would have been mm. valuable oh, that's
1: lovely thank you very much for sharing that One last tactical question. I'm sure many of our listeners would love to learn more about you two and about Warehouse Cinemas. What's the best way for them to find you and learn more?
2: The web address is warehousecinemas.com. I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit, at Rich Dautridge, also Twitter, if you're interested in following us, and also all the hashtags at Warehouse Cinemas on Twitter,
0: Facebook, Instagram, just do a quick Google search for Warehouse Cinemas we pop up. I'm on LinkedIn as well. Gregory mm. Mills. And mm. Greg's also on TikTok, so if you'd like to follow me. <laughs> <TikTok.
1: laughs> and, and I'm still trying to optimize my MySpace page, so you guys have already left me in the dirt. Uh, I'm not in I'm TikTok, not on TikTok, so I think follow, Rich just obligated me Greg to start on TikTok. <laughs> at,
0: at Gregory Mills. <laughs> oh uh, that just happened. <laughs>
1: Craig oh, Mills, oh, WC. This is, this is going to be fun. This is going this to be fun. This will not end well. well. This will I, not end I, well. I would like to personally appeal to you to consider bringing warehouse cinemas to the Twin Cities because uh, what you describe is different than the movie-going atmosphere here in my fine town, and uh, I wish you the world of success. You're two very compelling leaders, and what you shared is going to make all of us better leaders, which is the whole purpose of the EOS Leader Podcast, so... Thanks so much for making the time today.
0: Really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Peyton. Appreciate your time.
1: If you're running your business on EOS, you know we value open and honest feedback. So please open up your podcasting app and leave us a review. Let us know if there's anything we can do to make the podcast better or help you along on your own entrepreneurial leadership journey.